Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. A choice right now, right now. Between fear and love. It's just a rock. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expanding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. David Warner Matheson, hanging out live from Australia. It is so cool to see you, brother. How you been? Great to be back, Brandon. Great to see you. I've been doing very well. Lots of things going on. And how about you, man? I've been incredible. Thank you. Uh, I think last time I saw you, you were adorning uh, various banana hammocks in a cold pool with us in um, <laughs> in Utah, and it was absolutely incredible. So, guys, uh, of course, you know how this works. All the ways to find him, starmissoftheworld.com, as well as his link tree. Everything else will be located down in the show description. Also, his first episodes that he joined me for, so where he gives his background and things like that, so you and I can actually just... Skip that and just kind of get right to it here. Now, uh, some of the books, I only brought a couple here with me, but The Undying Stars, and you've got uh, Astro Theology for Life, which I love this. It's got a hard title. It's like Astro Theology for Life, son, DWM with attitude. You know what I mean? It's like hard. I love it. And your new book, though, Invoking the Ancient Gods in Us, is what we're going to talk about here today. So 
Congratulations on so many levels. I'm going to congratulate you on your book first, on your move, on your amazing relationship, which you're welcome to talk about if you'd like. But, dude, I'm so happy for you. Seriously, man to man, brother to brother here. You're crushing it in every way. Just congratulations, man. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, I'm really, uh, really excited about this new book. It's just hitting the, you know, basic outlets wherever you can look for books. You can also just ask your library for a copy. So <laughs> you don't have to buy it. Just go to your library and say, hey, could you stock this for me and others who might be looking for this? exploration of the ancient wisdom you know the the world's ancient myths is what i've been exploring for the past 15 years and what a journey i've really been a fan of the myths probably talked about this before so i won't cover too much extra ground but i think we all were probably fascinated by myths when we were children if we had any exposure at all to zeus or thor and odin i had those books when i was a child I'll show actually a picture from one of them that I have prepared in a little presentation, but they're fascinating, but they're not really for children. When you grow up, you find out, oh, there was a lot of censored uh, stuff being left out. And why would you teach this to children? Because it's fascinating. And the point of this book and previous books is it's about you. It's all about us. That's what's going on in these myths. It's amazing. I just love your reference for this. So guys, again, all the ways to find uh, him and his work located down in the show description. I think that's a wonderful idea to ask libraries, public libraries to carry books uh, that you'd like to see there. I think that's awesome. What a great idea. I wrote it down. We're going to start doing that. Uh, so David, you always come with a dope ass presentation, um, but I want to give you a second here. If you want to announce your, or, you know, do you have any other announcements that you'd like to talk about? <laughs> well, you know, look, Brandon, our lives can feel like a whirlpool, whirlwind, uh, going through a black hole sometimes um, where everything gets pulled apart and then you come out on the other side. And, you know, I've been through some, some different things and, um, you know, it, it's not, all, it doesn't always go the way you planned, but the, the gears of heaven, you can't really, resist them like the the ancient myths are about the turning of the heavenly cycles and the ancient stoics like marcus aurelius who was a really important roman emperor if you've seen the movie gladiator interestingly enough they are dramatizing the transition between marcus aurelius and his insane son commodus played by joaquin phoenix Marcus Aurelius was a Stoic philosopher as well as an emperor. And he wrote about Stoicism and the Stoics, I believe, had this understanding that the universe is doing things and the wheels of heaven are turning and it doesn't do you any good to yell at them. If somebody ahead of you cuts you off or gets through a red light and you get stuck in, or gets through the green light and you get stuck in the red light because they were dawdling, somehow that person got there ahead of you because of the, they left the house a little bit before 
Maybe they're, you know, you're angry at them because they're an older driver. Well, they were the wheels of heaven had them be born a little bit before you. In other words, you can get all angry and yell at the universe for getting you stuck in that red light when you're late for something that you really need to be at, but it's not going to do you any good. And just understand it's like the waves when you're surfing, you can't surf in between the waves. You have to wait for the wave that's coming. If you try and catch a wave when it's not there, you just won't catch a wave when it's not there. And if you try and fight the waves, you're going to get squashed and spun around like you're in a washing machine. And so um, all that to say that my life has been changed quite a bit, but I am really in a relationship with the most amazing woman, Ksenia, whom you've met. And uh, it's just fantastic. And, and yeah, so if you follow our Instagram, you can see the whole, the whole thing there. Yes. And congratulations. And it's, yes, we've met, but the whole show knows Ksenia. Like we all, the audience, everybody loves Ksenia and we love you. So that's amazing that you two are engaged. Congratulations is all I'm saying. That is so beautiful. I'm grateful, like I said, that we got to hang out with both of you in Utah. That was incredible. And then to hear that you moved out there and to hear that now that you guys are engaged, like I said, this is amazing, man. Just congratulations. Thanks, Brandon. It's just amazing to be in a relationship where obviously we both love the stars. We both are on the same wavelength and it's just a very affirming and I'm not going to go too too into it right now. It's and you just, don't have to. It's, we it's we just, just wanted to congratulate you. I know you're a gentleman, but we just wanted to congratulate you, man. That's outstanding. Thank you, Brandon. No, I appreciate your your mentioning that. And look, we're all friends. We've we've jammed together. We've done yeah. breath work together. We've plunged into icy cold water together. <laughs> when snow was on the ground, that was just a that Utah experience <laughs> with uh, wild Brandon Brandon Powell setting up the ice baths on top of the snowpack that was 10 feet deep and the, <laughs> the little floating thermometers saying, you know, 30 degrees. You, you just look at it and go, Oh, that's cold. Up in the wind, <laughs> but, dude. And we were at 10,000 feet. I think it was where Duck Creek yep. villages, 10, five, something like that. It was high. Yep. And man, that was crazy. And you would, you walked down a different banana hammock every day and it was great. <laughs> and you're six. Well, what? How tall are you? Six foot. What? Six, three. Three. Yeah, every six three of you was hanging on to this little thing, and you just hopped in that thing with your sunglasses, man, and spread out, took up the whole pool. It was incredible. It was just awesome. It was cool to get to hang out with you. Well, you know, it's a good segue because I actually discuss in this book, it's really about how these myths apply to our life. So the last 15 years, as I mentioned, I've been exploring the connection between the myths and the stars. And you can go back to previous visits to expanding reality and hear some evidence about that and see the connections. They're just undeniable. And after, you know, publishing 10 books, totaling 5,000 pages with tons of illustrations and star charts showing the connections, the point has been proven to my satisfaction. I am completely confident that the myths are based on the stars around the world, including the myths in what we call the Bible. Those are myths. Those are mythical figures. They are part of the family of human myth. 
those stories are cousins to the stories about Zeus and the stories about Thor and the stories about Shango in West Africa and the stories about Maui in the Pacific. Those are all part of the same system. I've proven that with compelling and I would say conclusive evidence. So then the question that naturally arises is why, what for, how does this apply to our life? Or is it just a giant kind of like crossword puzzle, intellectual exercise, you figure out the connections and it just makes you happy because it's like you solved a little puzzle. No, it's, it's a much more than that. So this book is part of my ongoing journey to try and understand why this ancient system is doing this. I can prove beyond doubt with kind of empirical evidence that it is matching up characters with stars. What it means, we can argue about. My opinion, you may not agree with, but I've been on a journey to try and understand what they're doing. And so I'm trying to apply it. And the cold baths, I mentioned them in the book. I try and talk about ways that we connect with the gods are in us and what, how that can actually help our lives. And I talk, I actually have a picture from the, I'll see if I can find it. I'll share the screen since you brought it up while you, I'll throw it back to you while okay. I search, search it out. <laughs> Guys, it's great. Uh, yes. And, and it was fascinating too, because while we were out there just talking about the, tra I love your reverence for this man. And that was one of the things uh, that we were so excited to do is not only to hang out with you, but to hang out with you and see you like in your element, which is you under the stars. And you guys plan this thing at new moon, uh, which is, you know, perfect, of course. And you're out there with this green laser and we just kept having to go plane, you know, when a plane kept going by, but uh, you, you were out there pointing things out under this dark sky in Bryce Canyon, you know, we're having this party out there, this, these pizzas and stuff. And it was just so fascinating to sit there and the way that you put it, man, we all then, you know, got back to the, uh, the cabins that night and we're all standing out there. I remember Bob, Tori and I standing out there pointing out, yeah, there's Gemini and yeah. And then he said, what? And then, oh yeah, there's a little crow underneath um, Virgo there. And so you, we, we learned so much, but it was such a great way to do it, man. It was so cool. So just again, your reverence, but your passion shows through in person, dude, it was cool. Well, thanks. And it, that was a really special event. The, um, the clouds really cleared right at the exact proper time Literally. all through the yeah. day it was getting more and more <laughs> cloudy and you know we've got all these guests who have traveled all these distances flying driving to be part of this event we're up at nine thousand something feet in bryce canyon and it's been getting cloudier all day and throughout the day everybody's asking me are the clouds going to clear like like I can tell you. <laughs> and of course I say, yes, they will. <laughs> yes, of course they will. I, yep, they're going to clear. And meanwhile, I'm thinking, and that morning I had given a talk about calling on the gods. I had been referencing from the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita, actually in the, the larger epic that the Bhagavad Gita is part of, which is called the Mahabharata. The Bhagavad Gita is a section in this super long epic poem. And right before Krishna, the God, gives the Bhagavad Gita, the song of the Lord, to Arjun, Arjun is told by Krishna, now is the time to call on the goddess Durga. And I gave this whole talk about, because we're going to see this constellation, and that's 
Durga and she's pulled by a lion or she rides on a lion and we're going to see this and that. And I said, in the Mahabharata, just before the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna calls on Durga and she appears. So when he calls, she appears. That's significant. The ancient myths show that when you call on a god or a goddess, they appear. When you say the name of Thor, Thor appears in the Norse myths. So she shows up and then she says to Arjun, in this battle, you will prevail. You will triumph. You cannot be defeated. You will reach your goal and be victorious. And what a what a amazing promise. In the myths, the battle is actually this incarnate life. He's full of doubt and he's going into the battle is not a literal battle. All these stories are metaphorical and they're showing us this life that we're in is a struggle. There's a interplay of light and dark and, and um, right before the battle, Durga says to the goddess Durga shows up and says, Arjun, you will be victorious. You cannot possibly lose. What a promise. And so I gave this whole talk and said, you know, this is telling us that we can, we can actually be confident that way. And then all through the day, people are asking me, are the clouds going to clear? And I'm saying, yep, yep, they're going to clear. And then it, we're up on the thing and I'm going, man, they're just not clearing. And Kevin from Unpaved is playing his set. And I'm like, Hey everybody, Kevin's, you know, Kevin's got a few more songs. So just enjoy those. And as soon as he's done, the clouds will clear. And I'm like, I'm going to give basically Kevin time to finish this set. And if the clouds don't clear, we're just going to have to say, I'm sorry. You know, I can't, can't guarantee perfectly clear skies. Well, during the set, the clouds, it's just like the, clouds part the moon starts the sliver of the new moon starts to come out the stars start blazing away kevin finishes his set i, I pull out the bullhorn all right everybody look at this we've got this beautiful window and we basically went through every star in the sky and then as soon as i was done the clouds came back in it was, it was crazy yes it was amazing <laughs> it was perfect but that's the kind of magic that happens when you get that group of people because every single person there was unbelievably cool. It was just like family. Mm. I just can't talk about that uh, thing enough. So if you guys want to check out, I'm going to link the other episodes that he was on. But one of them was episode 190 when we were talking about that and the things that he was going to talk about there, which exceeded the presentation that he did that way. And we, <laughs> I mean, it's we talked about Happy Feet, I believe, as well. You'd just seen that movie and you're obsessed with it and had tons of metaphors that were spot on. And I was just, it was perfect, man. So, uh, dude, this is incredible, and it sounds like uh, you're invoking the ancient gods in us is sort of right in line with all the things that we talk about, about going within, about looking, you know, where you are. You know, long established that the Bible and that the myths have been more metaphorical and allegorical rather than literal. So it's interesting now to maybe look at invoking the gods in us as an empowering way to see something that way. It's fascinating, dude. Yeah, thanks. Well, let me share my screen real quick, please, and uh, show people a little bit about what's going on in the book, and let you kind of choose what you want to talk about. Can you see the screen? There's a look. If you if you purchase the book, you get page one twenty eight. There we are in the snow, <laughs> can, dude. Can that right it? there. Oh my god, that was from that trip. Yeah, yeah. There you but, are. 
uh, doing the moves there, that he, the Wim Hof moves he taught us to stay warm. Did it work? Well, so this is, <laughs> it's really fascinating. So the Wim Hof method, I talk about it in the book as, to me, this is a practice that you can employ that helps get in touch with self. And so I talk about that in the book. There are methods that have been used through the ages and Wim Hof or Wim Hof says, this is an ancient practice that I have rediscovered. And we were fortunate enough on that trip, Brandon, you and I to have Brandon Powell, who's a master instructor of the Wim Hof, both breath work and cold work. And to me, both of those are methods for invoking and, and recovering and allowing self to come up, buried self. I call it sometimes deeper self. A lot of times we say higher self. So that's what this book is talking about. This is a concept that I didn't invent, the concept of higher self. I was groping towards it in the past several books that I've written, even before discovering some of the cutting edge psychologists, trauma therapists who are, I'll just stop share real quick and, and just give a little, a, a brief intro. These cutting edge psychologists, by no means all of psychology is on board with what these kind of pioneers in trauma and self and recovering self are talking about. It, it really happened, as I understand it, in the mid-70s, if you can think about what was happening in the U.S. in the mid-70s, Vietnam was, you know, this horrific national trauma, and you had people coming back, men and women coming back from Vietnam, men primarily, but women too, with post-traumatic stress disorder, which was a, a term that had not been used after World War II. Of course, that was a, you know, there was traumatic things. Go watch Hacksaw Ridge or Saving Private Ryan. Of course, it was traumatic, but it wasn't labeled that way. And in the mid-70s, some cutting-edge psychologists like Dr. Peter Levine, who in his books talks about being at Berkeley in the mid-70s studying psychology and this new awareness of this concept of trauma, which means a wound. It means a physical wound, but applying it as a psychological wound to mean separation from self, alienation from self. And I started hearing the talks of Dr. Gabor Mate. Actually, I was going on a, I was going on a podcast in Canada. Oddly enough, we did the whole podcast and they closed down the, the whole podcast and never aired my podcast. And I was really frustrated about it. I was like, man, I did all this preparation, did this great two hour podcast. And then they just kind of shut the thing down with no explanation and never published it. But I'm really grateful for the whole experience because in preparation for the podcast, I always like to watch a couple episodes and they interviewed Dr. Gabor Mate like, and I think they kind of like just kind of closed with him and I'd never heard of him before, but he was, is this incredible healer who was working with patients in Vancouver, British Columbia in East Vancouver, where there's this really high 
percentage, the highest concentration of addicted men and women to really hardcore substances like heroin. And he wrote about how, as he tried to start to do healing and working with these men and women, he was realizing that every single one of them had experienced some really traumatic circumstances in their childhood. And he argued that the, the addiction is not what you need to focus on. That is a, that is an attempt to cover over the pain of this separation from self. And it's actually seeking relief from that pain, which is not a, a bad impulse. It's a, it's a, it's, it's something that we need relief from that pain to, to heal that pain. But addiction, addictive substances, even, even if they, we know that they will destruct, you know, destroy us, we'll seek them for the relief from that, that anguish or to suppress that, that it was so painful to be separated from self. So I heard about Dr. Gabor Mate after I'd already been writing, Hey, the myths are about higher self and lower self. Look at all these twins in myth. There's twins all over the place, Gilgamesh and Enkidu, Jacob and Esau. There's twins in the Bible. There's twins in the Vedas of ancient India. In the Mahabharata, there's a set of twins. There's twins in the myths of the Maya, the hero twins, Hunapu and Ishbalanke, who go down into the underworld. Just like Castor and Pollux, one of them goes down to the underworld. Just like Enkidu goes down to the underworld in the Gilgamesh epic. And I was saying, this is about something to do with higher self and let's just say lower self. And then I started discovering the works of Dr. Gabor Mate and these other cutting edge healers, psychologists and doctors talking about their understanding of how this applies to our life. And I said, this is fascinating. These, these, Healers are on the cutting edge, the forefront, and not even they're complaining about how medical school hasn't really gotten on board with what they've they've found in many cases and how it would be very helpful for all kinds of um, better therapy. And yet the most ancient myths in the world, Gilgamesh, is from you know, Babylon, and he was called Bilgamesh in the Sumerian myths. That's some of the most ancient texts in the world. The, the texts of the, the pyramid texts in ancient Egypt that talk about Osiris being cut up and buried and sent down to the underworld. That's also talking about alienation from self. I realized that what the myths are talking about is what cutting edge healers are discovering this ancient wisdom already contains it and dramatizes it. It just doesn't explain it completely, um, you know, obvious the way I've just tried to explain it. Anyway, hopefully that's a good segue or intro. Badass segue, man, of course, because now you've related it from the myths, the ancient texts, people who are doing the work, practical applications in this place, and then also how it applies to you and what what it what your role is in all this meaning you the listener you the people paying attention to this this is this is outstanding david yeah yeah what a cool concept man because you're now bringing the stars to you which is inside you all along and then it ties into this silly mind fuck of an idea that 
Like if you looked out of a telescope and you see one of those things they call stars out there and you zoom in on it hard enough, then there's atoms going around. And if you zoom in on that hard enough, it's you looking at the back of your own head, looking at a telescope, right? It's this idea to where it's just so fractal and within you, you know, we anthropomorphize this stuff to be way out there and big. Look how big that constellation is. That's a God. But really it's it's within you. And I think it's beautiful the, the turn, the direction that your work has led you. I think it's really cool. Well, thanks, Brandon. It is fractal. It is really mind-boggling to think about because I do believe there is a divine realm, or we could call it something else. You know, in Australia, the indigenous traditions, the word that they use is a dream time, or the we could call it the invisible realm. There's been different names for this throughout the cultures of the world, the invisible realm, the realm of the gods, the the other world, but it's clearly interspersed or intertangled with this one. And what I'm saying is where do the gods live? I do believe they live in a divine realm, which is also within us in a fractal kind of a way. In other words, I do believe that, you know, men and women are individuals and yet the things that are happening in the family are mirrored inside of our heads to where we have multiple, we have a family living inside of us. And, and I'll talk about that in relationship to this book and in relationship to another amazing trauma therapist, Dr. Richard Schwartz, who pioneered the internal family systems paradigm, which I talk about in this book. But so we mirror the family, we, and even in society around us, outside of us, you know, uh, the, the, the issues and burdens and exiles that we have within us on an internal level are also mirrored out in society. And I believe it's mirrored out in nature and it's mirrored out in the realm of the gods. It's like all these layers are, are reflecting and rippling and intertwined. I used to say they're like, I used to use a phrase in the undying stars, which came out in 2014, was something like interpenetrated or interwoven at every level, at every level. It's wild, man, the vastness. Do you think that you can comprehend it? You know, infinity, that the gods within you, I mean, even where you are now with your work, like this is such a new way of approaching this from, because you're scaling levels now, now you're connecting, you know, now you're really as above, so belowing this bitch, you know what I mean? So. It's just unfathomable at levels, but then also very simplistic, I hear, at levels. So it's one of those, like, simple, not easy things, I feel, you know? Mm, well, and so you can get to know the gods in you. And that's where, you know, that picture, I, wa I wasn't showing that just to be frivolous. Those different voices come out in you when you are really under some stress. So... When someone cuts you off in traffic, some, you know, aspect of you may take over that does or says some unwelcome things. And later you're like, well, that wasn't me. And the people in the car with you say, oh, no, that was you. That was a side of you I've seen before. Um, when you're in the cold or doing the breath work that we were doing every morning with Brandon Powell at the Utah event. In the breath work, there's some stressful 
aspects of it where you breathe out and then you don't breathe in and voices start to come up that say, you're going to die. Yeah. If you don't breathe in, even if you just did it like one cycle ago, (laughs) the voice comes in and says, yeah, I know we, we survived the last one, but this time it's different. You're going to die. And those voices are there actually for a purpose, for a good purpose. They are trying to help. They're actually doing their job, but they don't know the big picture. So they're, it's like the war God or the love God, or the different gods in your head are there for a purpose. They have resources to give us. They have gifts to give us. I'm using words actually that Dr. Richard Schwartz talks about. I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit in the explanation, but he says all these different parts of who we are have gifts to give us, resources to give us. You don't want to dismiss them or cut them out of your life. And in fact, you can't, you can't, whether you want to or not, you can't get rid of them. But actually what you want is for them to give you their welcome, the gifts that you want and have them stop doing behaviors that you don't want. Like that defensive or, um, you know, violent aspect of you that comes out maybe when you're driving is actually a part of you that you need. If you wake up in the middle of the night and someone's in your house in the dark about to try and, you know, do violence to you or a family member or something, a loved one, you want to be able to respond in a, may need to actually use force, but you want that, you want that defensive part of you, that this defensive personality, that war God or whoever, <laughs> you want the love God or goddess to show up at the right time and not the wrong time. And, and be, you want them all to actually be in harmony, like an orchestra or a metaphor that might, that I think really resounds, especially for people in the US who like to watch the basketball NBA, like an NBA team where all five players with their different strengths have they're working in harmony and actually it's more than five players you know the coach is putting in different players and giving others a rest and the coach is actually orchestrating the whole thing beautifully when it all works all those players are able to be more than they can on their own and that's what we're actually after on this internal basketball team or this internal family that's going on within us (laughs) i don't know how (laughs) i don't know how we started that but that's uh Beautiful is how we did it. You started with this incredibly intuitively guided rant and I loved it every second of it because it's so interesting, man. We just love hearing you talk. So you're just welcome to do so. I got the image of, did you ever play that? As a kid, we got this little game for Christmas one time and it was a tic-tac-toe game. But what you did was, is that you tossed beanbags on it. Tic-tac-toss, something like that, probably. I would think that'd be missed opportunity if they didn't call it that. But everybody (laughs) had like their own colored beanbags and you tossed this thing and it flipped to three different settings. They had nine panels, right? And it flipped to three different settings. So when you throw it on this one in the middle, it'd flip to the blue, whatever. And you knew which side to hit it on to flip it to yours. And when when you were talking about the gods and that they each have a side, mm. right? That they have these yes. differences between them. Some are X's and some are O's, right? Well, maybe you're like in an O vibe and you want them all yes. to be O's. Well, somebody else is sort of tossing beanbags at that and flipping your gods the inverse direction. So as to what you said, like the car cutting you off, boom, that's somebody tossing a beanbag, flipping that O to an X, your god of war. 
And it's your kind of job to look at it and balance it to see if the juice is worth the squeeze, as they say, you know? <laughs> Great metaphor the, that I do remember. I think it was called toss across just to uh, toss across. Okay. We'll take that <laughs> just too. To, but tic tac to toss, my, I think, would be dope as shit. Toss across. My is Gen good. X. I think it was called toss across. I never had one, but I had friends who did. And the, the neat thing about that game is that basically in tic-tac-toe, you can never win <laughs> on, on paper and unless somebody really messes up. It's pretty, it's a pretty much a guaranteed stalemate almost every time you're still there. Yeah. Yeah. I love uh, it. Toss I was, across. Yeah. Toss a, <laughs> it's toss across. You nailed it. I'm video version guys. Uh, linked in the show description. You're going to want that anyway. Yeah. This was it right here and it flipped around, but you can picture this either being neutral or like active and maybe you want it all neutral and maybe the red or whatever is not good. I don't know, you know, for whatever you're doing, but I think balance is the way to go. But it, this is also a good metaphor because you have external forces like your sister or your you're mom or switch. Yeah, you're allowed to switch the DMV thing. Yeah, if you the, can like, hit it. Yeah, exactly. And people can knock you off of your perfect little O there that you're running on, right? Anyway, but just the thought point I'd that you're that. making. No, it's a great point. Is that our? You know, some people call this the shadow side. All our different ingredients that we have, our different internal family that we have, can show up in positive ways or what we might see as negative ways all actually what they're trying to do is keep the team together. So when they're showing up in a negative way, they're actually doing that because of a, a valid reason rather than just to mess things up they're, they If they're trying to mess something up, it's because they're afraid of what will happen if they don't mess it up. So, um, the self-sabotaging kind of elements, yeah, you know self-sabotaging. I mean? We're all familiar it's with like you that self-sabotaging. Keep yourself, you know, in this prison in a way because of these limiting ideas about yourself and your scope. And that's what that's what really the biggest trick is. It's not that the devil wasn't real. It's that uh, I think the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was that you're not God. You're not the source of everything and that there's something outside of you that you need to seek. And that has been the hamster wheel, the carrot on the string, all of those kind of things. That's been the greatest trick he ever pulled. Well, it's interesting that in this in this book, I actually spend quite a bit of time, probably more than I have in, in any other book, talking about the character of Peter, who's one of the, you know, the 12 parts, family members, personalities around Jesus. And Jesus at one point says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, meaning Satan's, you know, in you, can, can, that aspect can come out and Peter does headstrong things and he does impulsive things and he does things where you look at him and go, Oh, that was so cowardly or that was so, uh, what a, <laughs> how what could a you betray? How could you betray Jesus like that? When just a minute ago you were saying, I'll even go to the death. Um, what's happening is the, the it's illustrating what actually goes on with our different personalities are different parts. So let me actually, um, since to bring it to bring it down to kind of some rubber hits the road or maybe give some more concreteness if possible, let me show what I've got prepared here. This is the new book. It's called Invoking the Ancient Gods in You. That's the cover front and back. So you can see that's the goddess Athena on the left of the screen as we're looking at it. She's looking down 
at Odysseus. She is like the higher voice that Odysseus, that shows up occasionally to, save, to help point Odysseus in the right direction. During his journeys, he's in the spin cycle. He's getting spun around by primarily Poseidon. The god of the ocean has basically got Odysseus in a spin cycle. Every time he thinks he's going to get to where he's trying to go, he gets spun back to the beginning practically. So this is the, this is the cover. And let me just let me let me ask you Pull something. Also, while we're doing that, let the uh, if, yeah, let me let it. the audience know real quick um, that uh, the video version of this is located down in the show description, so you can come check this out. He is gonna he's got it pulled up here, guys. So just wanted to point that out. And also, I just had a curious question, just off the cuff here. The statues. Why did they never show the eyes? Why were the eyes always glossed over? You know, they could do the detail in the beards and all that, so it's not like they couldn't. It's a deliberate choice, but what do you think that was for? Just curious. It's really fascinating, isn't it? It gives them another worldly appearance, doesn't it? It yeah, makes them yeah. almost like become, instead of being an individual, they're like a platonic form in the realm of the divine, the, the other realm. Now, I have heard, this is an interesting theory, and I'm not an expert on it, haven't studied it, but I have seen some scholars talk about, well, they used to paint these statues and they would paint them all different colors. Just like when you go to, if you look up the goddess Durga, you'll see that in India, they have a Durga celebration, D-U-R-G-A. Every year they have a celebration of Durga and they'll have big um, shrines to Durga or shrines to Hanuman at his festival or shrines to Krishna. And they're all painted very brilliantly and um, eye-catching. So it may be that the ancient Greeks and Romans were adorning these statues. And I think, you know, when you see the pictures of the goddess Athena was in the Parthenon up there on the Acropolis in modern day Athens, still there up on the hill. And the recreation of her statue in the Parthenon has gold and gems all over it and so I don't know, maybe they did paint in the eyes. Even the uh, Moai of Easter Island, I've seen arguments that, oh, they had Mother of Pearl, which is from the abalone shell or the Pawa shell, as they call it in New Zealand, Aotearoa Pawa. The, they would have Mother of Pearl eyes with the, with the irises just like to make them look like they were alive. So I don't know, but it's fascinating when we see them, to me, it makes them look like they're in the realm of the gods and they're telling something that's, it's not just about some historic figure named Odysseus because he's a constellation. I can show that. I have shown that. This is about you and me. So every one of us can fit. It's, don't get hung up on the way one artist or another depicts this or that god or goddess because they're all constellations. And so you can depict them however you want because they're in you. You and I are the center of all these stories, as you said so clearly and brilliantly earlier, Brandon. Beautiful. I looked up the statue of Durga. It's wild. It is painted and it is kind of, I don't know, there's just something about these statues, man. They're just a little honestly creepy. Uh, there is something mm. transcendental about it. There's something, mm. I don't know, that demands respect, but in a it's it's fascinating. I I don't know what the what the thing is. It's almost like man's fear of snakes. You know, there's just something inherent mm. in me, sort of like things underwater, like deep 
uh, structures and shit like that, like statues underwater. That's creepy as shit. Anyway, um, I just think that that the whole thing is really interesting. Looking at it, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about it. That's badass. Yeah, man. Well, I you know I never know where the conversation is going to go, so I think this is great. I was going to ask you know pick pick something from the table of contents and we'll oh. we'll dive into it. But but I I took it down to say, you know that's interesting that you said about creepy but demands respect because I've been just recently exploring revisiting some of the lectures of robert taylor robert taylor was born in 1784 died in 1844 did amazing connections between bible stories and the stars i always give credit to the fact that there have been many researchers before me down through the centuries who have seen that the myths, including the Bible stories, are based on the stars. And Robert Taylor, I was trying to, what I, the reason I was revisiting it was to examine what he thought it was all about. Because this book is me saying, at this moment in time, or in September when I published it, this is as far as I've gotten as to trying to understand what it's all about. And Robert Taylor, I don't agree with his conclusions. He had kind of a pessimistic view that, well, they were encoding the earliest sciences about the motions of the heavens, but they had to encode it because, you know, we had maybe just come out of the forest and, you know, there were some people who were delving into science, but most people were still just kind of bands of thuggish, uh, you know, forest dudes who just wanted to bash your brains out and they were strong enough to do it. And so Robert Taylor who actually, if you think about his dates of life, and I was talking about this with Ksenia this morning on a walk, we were, we were taking a walk and I just love that, you know, we talk about these things and bounce it off each other. And she was um, talking about it with me and some other subjects. And I said, I believe I have to go back and look this up that Robert Taylor had a big influence on Charles Darwin. Taylor was like a generation before Darwin. Now I don't actually believe in Darwinian mechanism if, if 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 evolution is happening really it's it's more hybrids and not distinct species and everything is like flowing around and um, this is an interesting theory that uh, a hybrid expert doctor has talked about and humans are a hybrid between two things you would never guess but anyway darwin took a lot from taylor and i think they may have actually come into contact once or twice or maybe Tarhu was like his second nephew or something weird like that. But anyway, Taylor was saying kind of an evolutionary thing when humanity was first groping towards science and reason, they had to encode it. And then for actually good coherent reasons, they put layers of superstition around it to overawe and make everybody respect the gods. And they put a bunch of basically in Robert Taylor, I'm paraphrasing BS on top of it to trick you, to, to keep you in ignorance, or basically so that the intellectuals who maybe weren't as good at clubbing people in the head could keep the guys who were big, you know, linebackers who could club them in the head afraid of superstitious, supernatural. Look at Durga. You club me in the head, she'll come get you. Okay, okay, I won't club you in the head, even though I easily could. So that's an interesting theory, and it's like the whole category of 
I would put that in the whole category of, of course, all these myths are just a trick to keep mankind down, humanity down, or to keep, you know, women down, keep men, patriarchy, all this kind of negative interpretation of all the myths are just to trick and enslave you. And maybe it's just a cheap trick, like Robert Taylor kind of implies that it's just a cheap trick to help one little group get control over everybody else. And so I bring that up because you said, ah, it does kind of uh, command respect. And I wanted to address that. I'm actually working on an article to address that a little bit because I'll just finish with, I, you know, I'll let you riff on it because I know you've got some, some thoughts on this very important subject, but I find abundant evidence that these myths are not quote, just early encapsulation of science, but actually they probably come from a society way more culturally sophisticated and spiritually advanced and that they're, they are dramatizing positive things. I already hinted at it. Recovery of self, they're, they're dramatizing that for our benefit. So I'm going to let my position out of the bag. I believe they are good, but that they're probably so early. They're pre-Egypt. They're pre-Sumer that there was some kind of catastrophe between what we call ancient and whoever came up with this, that then the ancients were left with this kind of, they, they had all these pieces of the puzzle and some of them put together better than others. And some of them did twist it in ways to just, you know, just keep people down, which is a negative. They've obviously, I agree with Taylor. They've obviously been used in a negative way. It's just like I use the metaphor of martial arts. It's just like martial arts. They can be used to stop oppression and bullying and violence and taking advantage of other people, or they can be used to bully and oppress and rule the town like a bunch of, you know, bad, bad guys. I mean, all Kung Fu movies are like the bad Kung Fu master has taken over the town and the wise old, really good Kung Fu master who just wants to help people kind of lays low, lays low, lays low. And then he goes, okay, I got to stop this and <laughs> fights the bad Kung Fu master in a big epic conclusion. Yeah. Like the movie about. equalizer. That was a badass movie. Uh, Denzel Washington. Did you see that? I have not. Dude, you would love it. There's three <laughs> of them out. Uh, the first one's though, the, is a banger. I wanted to show, uh, Durga real quick. So this is the statue painted in. Um, this thing is fascinating. If you really look at the eyes and especially stuff like this, like if you walk into mm -hmm. a place and you see this shit going on uh, with some music, with some smoke, with the right lighting, you know, I mean, this is fucking wild, man. I mean, look yes. at this shit. Yes. Look I've at talked this a lot about down here. What the I've fuck is this? I've talked a lot about Durga. Yeah, she is uh a very important goddess. Like I said, she's the one that Krishna says to Arjun before the great battle, which is, I would say the battle itself is our human life. Krishna says to Arjun, now it's time to call on Durga. She'll often have, so all those different hands will have different symbolic items that I argue and can demonstrate relate to the stars. Like she'll have us a, a cobra. In fact, in one of those, she had a cobra around a guy's neck, not this one, but the other one where the cobra's around a guy's neck and he's like, his eyes are bulging out because she's choking him out with the cobra. I think. Um, yes. 
Yeah. And all the different weapons. Oh, see, there's a lion. A lot of times yeah. there'll be the head of a bull. These are celestial. This is all celestial metaphor. It relates to where she is in the sky and what she represents. She rides on the back of a lion or sometimes a tiger, as you can see in some of these. The, the myths are all based on the stars. She's got a lotus in one hand. She's got a spinning disc in one hand, on one finger. Um, I've got a, a, a book in 2019 called Ancient Worldwide System that really gets into myths from different cultures around the world. It came out to be 900 pages long, but it goes through myths of Africa, myths of, and there's chapters, whole chapters on the myths of the Vedas and of the Mahabharata of ancient India, Upanishads. And uh, yeah, there, has he got the snake around his neck, the dude in green? And she's sort of got mauled. this snake in this hand here. She's mm. got it around his, um, oh, wow. We just zoomed right in, didn't we? Yeah, right here. Here's the snake. Here's mm. the cobra wrapped around his arm. And he's like trying to be like, no, dude. And then she's got this staff thing going down. But the lion again is represented. Ganesh yes. is over here. Who is yes. this? Do you know? Where? To the. Uh, to the. Oh, to yeah. I don't left. know. who. I don't. I don't know who Ganesh looks is. like it's he's or she, whatever, uh, is always featured to the right or has in these few depictions. And then you where there's this lion as well to the right, if we're talking about it, uh, and then as well, this adversarial type dude down to the left or whoever. Um, is this a djinn because he's in a, a blue color? Yeah, he's probably an Asura. So she defeats a few Asuras and the Asuras are so the djinn are pretty much more of a the Arabian Nights, they're, they're really closely linked, I believe, to the stories of ancient India. And I think scholars would back me up on that. So the Asuras, so in the, in the Indian myth, let me just back up. They have like over 500 names for one deity, let alone, you know, the multitude of deities. So I don't know each and every one, but I deal with a bunch of them. I do talk about who is Ganesh and who is Durga in this 2019 book. But um, the Asuras and the Devas, which I believe may be where we get our word diva, I'm not positive, are kind of like the good, one layer of good guys and bad guys in the supernatural realm where the Asuras are like the demons or the monsters. And Durga especially battles a certain Asura called Mahish Asura or Mahish Asura. Mahiashara. Uh, I, I don't know all the exact pronunciation of the original Sanskrit, and I believe it's changed over the centuries as well. But anyway, she cuts off his bull head, and I've got a. Yeah, right a, here. Uh, here's the head with the, the yeah, lines yeah, got there its paw go. on the head, yeah, and then so the she's body's on the, right here. Yeah, so she's on the back of the lion. And so when the lion is rising, and actually when her constellation, which she's mostly associated with. Virgo, I argue, which is why you find her right before the plunge down into the into the physical world, into the battle of being in a body. She also has aspects of Ophiuchus, which we can talk about in a, in a bit. But when she is rising, Orion and Taurus are sinking. So I call that dual horizon action. I think I even have an old video probably 10 years ago talking about it. But it's really fascinating. There's a one particular, um, let me, uh, let me, let me grab the screen and yeah, I'll let see me if ask I can you find real, it real quick. Yeah, go you, ahead. Mario, let me ask you. So this looks like seven figures in here. If you don't count the bull that's been beheaded, which is, you know, could be a 
a Taurus thing, you know, uh, astrological. But do you think that this maybe represent the constellation, the Pleiades? Because it looks like there's these same seven figures in this thing in all the depictions that we've looked at. And they're all arranged in the same order. You've got this guy over here to the left, this Ganesh over to the right, then the lion, then the guy, then these two figures on either side of her there. I mean, it's just interesting. I don't know. Just wanted to it see if you... Yeah, if you look on her arms, it's like there are stars on each arm, and that would yeah. add up to six because two of her arms don't have stars. And so what, just for the audience, what Brandon is mentioning, the Pleiades or Pleiades are typically called the seven sisters. If you look at them through binoculars, you'll see there's a lot more than seven. But around the world, from the islands of the Pacific all the way around it, you know, the other side of the globe in ancient Greece, they'll be referred to as the seven sisters, or there'll be stories about seven sisters, or maybe they lose one sister. So seven sisters and one gets lost. Um, they're located in the constellation of Taurus. And where the spear is going in, not in the Durga illustration of the bull killing, but in the Mithras illustration of the bull killing, the spear is often going in right at the Pleiades where it would be in the sky. So it's a good connection you're making, Brandon. I have not applied it to Durga myself before. So maybe you discovered it and can research it. Maybe, it, maybe it's there. I haven't got enough research to say positively, but it's a great idea. Dude, it's, it's just looking at things the way that you look at them. And I'm looking here at these two figures could also represent Gemini because they're obviously twins. And then they're both yes. propped up on this little flower here. And then it's just interesting that these arrangements, these figures are arranged in the same configuration as well as the same trauma, the same action, as well as the same number of figures in each of these accounts. So you have the guy down here. Here's the line. I'm going to go ahead and assume Ganesh is here, two twins on either side. Then you have this one as well. Ganesh here, guy lying down there, two twins on either side, homeboy here. So you have this seven-figure, this again, it's the depicted the same exact way in each image. Again, the lion, the homeboy, the two twins on either side, and Durga. It's just something that I noticed from just looking at all these pictures here, especially like, again, uh, boom, another image. Yeah. Every one that you up, pull up has the same seven figures. Look up Durga statue. And let's see if we can find, there's one that's really, so what I would say is that people can, mm, um, like Krishna or, uh, no, it's, um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the whirling dancing, Nataraja. Um, so you're getting, you're, let me, let me, um, here you kick over the screen. Send, man. Yeah. Send the Take screen it. over to me. But what I'll say, what I'll say to listeners, if they're going, wait a minute, this is getting out of control. It's clear beyond doubt that the ancient myths around the world are based on the stars. I just say that as kind of shorthand, based on the stars. What I mean is the figures, the characters, the gods, the goddesses, or in the Bible stories, it's often human figures like David and Solomon and Bathsheba and, you know, all the, all the 12 disciples, they are related to the constellations. Now, we can argue about which one is which, and sometimes the evidence is more abundant and sometimes it's less. And so I try and be pretty conservative and say, look, I've got two or three pieces of evidence here to tie this constellation to this God or this God back to this constellation. I may be wrong sometimes, but overall, I'm quite confident that I'm right, that the gods and goddesses and story and figures in the stories 
are based. In fact, I'm beyond confident. I know I'm right. Like I can show you, there are some stories where it's so completely clear. And maybe I'll show a couple just from the book that there's no doubt that this is going on. Now, when we get into hmm, who is this particular little figure right here in this modern, you know, more recent depiction, we can argue, but I don't think we can argue about the big thesis. And so that being said, um, just to close out Durga and then we'll get back to the book because I didn't talk about her too much. I don't believe in this book. You can look in the index and see if she's there. I don't have it right by my side, but let me show you if I can. I have not been searching while I talked. That would have been smart. But let me search Wikimedia Commons, um, which is a great source of uh, images while I'm talking. Durga, I forget the exact temple that I'm looking for, but this one is really, uh, Durga is a really beautiful one. Durga Mahish. I'm going to look for it while I'm, oh my gosh. Yeah, it looked like Durva and Shiva get mixed up a lot. Are they the same character or are they? Um... Mm. So yeah, Shiva or Shiva or Shivaru is one of the, so Vishnu, Shiva and Krishna uh, and Krishna. I believe are the same constellation, Ophiuchus, and they're super important. And Shiva has a serpent around his shoulders or around his neck, which is an Ophiuchus type of a thing. I do believe that Durga has a lot of um, Ophiuchus symbology. I started off saying, oh, she's Virgo, but the more I see, like the spear pointing down at the angle that it is, is a very Ophiuchus. Ophiuchus figures often have spears and people who are listening, their eyes may be glazing over because I'm not showing it. Let me share my screen. And if I can find this um, Durga really quickly, I will. Otherwise there's one where she's riding on a lion and it's really clear. She's fighting Mahish Asura and it's in a, this one is, is pretty, uh, pretty cool looking, but that's not the one that I'm particular. I've talked about that one before in some videos. The one I'm really looking for is this one right here. So where is this? Ah, Maha, Mahabalipuram. Mahabalipuram. I'm not sure if that's how you say it, but Mahabali, this is a big, beautiful carving. There it is in bigger format. So let's just look at this one. This is, she is slaying Mahish Asura. Look at Mahish Asura in this picture. Let me just bring it up. Can you see it? Am I sharing well enough Dude, yeah, for you? Yeah, it's beautiful. I can see the poses in the, in the constellations yes. already. This is awesome. Yeah. Look at that. I mean, it's just the figures themselves are beautiful. Look at these. The I like carvings. the little plump couple of fellows in the bottom right yeah, left there. Yeah, yeah. Like little cherubs. And there she is. She's on the back of the lion. So there's so many goddesses who ride lions or who are pulled in chariots by lions. You, there's Greek goddesses. There's, this is, there's in Norse myths, the goddess Freya. She has a chariot that's pulled by cats. But I want to focus on Mahish. Can you see him? He's, he's the most massive figure in the whole thing. Yeah. He's leaning. He's got one knee bent. He's got a bull head. His weapon is this big giant club, but notice that he's got this distinctive knee bend. Can you see that knee bend there? Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's not the same knee bend, by the way, that we see in Hercules figure. So now we'll go to the stars of the sky in a moment, but just 
He's got a bull's head. And as we saw earlier in some of the other ones, when she slays him, she cuts off his head. Okay. Now let's see if I can bring up Stellarium. Can you see it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to switch to a different view. This is kind of a fisheye view, but I'm going to go back to my favorite. Uh, uh, what's my favorite view? <laughs> Can't remember. Um, uh, let's just go to this one. This is good. So let's get to uh, let's get to let's get Elon Musk's Starlink off of there. And they've started putting that in. If you click on a satellite, it tells you which Starlink satellite you're on. This is a free open source. Uh, planetarium that's wonderful i use it all the time okay so can everyone see um let me zoom in and then we'll, we'll bring durga back here in a second this if i can bring it over can you see okay can you see me trying to make it bigger this yeah, is orion yeah. can you see orion yes Does see the belt mm -hmm. of orion can you see, this is the Orion Nebula right here, if I click on it. And mm -hmm. um, no, no, I've clicked on another satellite. So Elon <laughs> Musk has put too many satellites up there. There we go. Well, that's a double star, but the Orion Nebula is right in here. If you click around, you'll find it. I'm, I'm hitting satellites. But anyway, everyone can see, if I zoom in, there's kind of like a, a sash hanging down from his belt. Yeah or something else hanging down between mm -hmm. his legs, right? So, you know, the myths are, the, like I said, they're not always for children. That's because they use all kinds of imagery and metaphors, including pretty sexual metaphors, violent metaphors, all kinds of metaphors. But everyone can see Orion. Now look at Orion. He's got actually two weapons in the sky. He's got a bow. See that there? Where Can, can you see where my mouse is? Oh, yeah, yeah. Pointing? It looks awesome, dude. Yeah. And here is this big kind of club but notice this leg can you see that he's kind of leaning yeah a little bit that way and can you see that this bright star rigel in his foot there's a can you see that yeah that star right there that makes his knee bend now let me just go back to mahish asura can you see that that's orion like yeah. has he got a belt that's distinctive has he got a sash dangling down between his legs is he carrying a club is he in the posture of Orion in any way? Like, I hope all the viewers who are able to see it. And then she cuts off his head. So let's go back to Stellarium. This is the bull of Taurus. And if I, let me see if I can actually just kind of annotate. This is the V-shaped Hyades. Can you see it? I wish yes. I could make that a little. Oh, that, that's great. Yeah. It's a V right there. The way I like to envision, these are, the outlines of H.A. Um, Ray, who I love. H.A. Ray's outlines are great. But <laughs> that said, in a few constellations, I do have a difference with them. These are the horns of the bull coming off of the V-shaped Hyades. That's the way I like to find it in the sky. So this is like the bull's head down here and the long horns. Can you see that? Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, we hate the Texas Longhorns. That's why I've colored it in in burnt orange there, Brent. I'm I just see gonna, that. <laughs> yeah, I I did go to Texas A&M for grad school, so we have to sing. I'm more, you know. I'm more Aggie than anything. I spent some time with a buddy in the core up there. I partied with those dudes. I'm way more Aggie, man. Absolutely. Right. So we saw Varsity's horns off. Anyway, they have a big song about it. But in the myth, the head flies off. And can you see how, like, yeah. there's the head over there. There's Orion. His head area is quite faint. 
it really looks like a kind of a headless giant. Professor Robert Schock has talked about that in connection to Gobekli Tepe and other things, but it really does in some ways look like a giant whose bull head, there's the bull's head, has been severed by Durga. And she's riding the lion and she's coming up when these constellations are sinking down. So she defeats Mahish Asura. All the other gods and goddesses couldn't defeat Mahish. He was too powerful. And they, and they said, Durga, can you help us? And she says, yeah, of course, I can slay Mahish. Why are you all being so cowardly? I will take care of Mahish. But it's all based on the star. So hopefully that, that was completely unplanned. Like I said, we never know where it's going to go. But Dude, that uh, hopefully awesome. that made sense. I'm not going to look at Taurus or Orion the same. Because also, have you seen those giants? It was a giant, but their heads are in their torsos. Have you seen those? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what? I saw you were putting up some pictures of that today. Maybe yes. that's Orion. Dude, look, so... But, the giants are in the sky. So Orion is one giant figure. Ophiuchus definitely plays a giant when David fights Goliath. I've talked about this. People can, um, yeah, I forget where I talk about it the most, but in some other podcasts, I've done kind of a whole big explication of how in the Bible, every time a giant shows up, his spear is described as being quote, like a weaver's beam. And you can just do a search, an internet search for weaver's beam, and you'll find at least four and probably six or seven giants who show up over time whose spears are like a weaver's beam. And I explain why that relates them directly to Ophiuchus, who is sometimes depicted as a loom for weaving, the old technology of how we used to, well, we still weave on looms, but now it's more mechanical, but you can still make carpets and things on a big loom that's shaped just like Ophiuchus. And that's why Ophiuchus's spear is like a weaver's beam. Hopefully that connection makes sense to people. I'm not showing it, but. I, th I think so. I mean, I'm just going to, I've got something pulled up here from what you were talking about weaver's beam here. Uh, so we're going to share screen. Boom. Uh, is this what you're saying? Yeah. So it's all over the place. And so if you look at a loom, it like often, yeah. So like this, the, the one look third row down, right? Yeah. That one. So sometimes the top will actually be triangular or there'll be kind of a, the strings will be pulled up to a point at the top. Um, I've found a few, I found some in the, in the Americas. I've found some in Japan, but um, the bottom line is that there's no doubt that Ophiuchus plays a loom and the constellation Sagittarius right next to Ophiuchus is often a beautiful maiden who's weaving at the loom in different um, myths, especially in the Odyssey. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've i got somewhere there's a triangle. Look at, uh, look at um, I think it's called a, a, a belt loom. Put, put up belt loom. Sometimes that'll have a triangular top. It's kind of a... I won't say primitive, but like a field expedient loom where you can do it out in the, out in the woods. Oh yeah. Loom to go. Yeah. You, yeah. And Looms to go. Look, if you look at it, a lot of times the top will be two triangular ropes going around that tree. See how that one woman with the blue pants, it looks like she just has one rope, but so a lot of times it'll be two. <laughs> anyway, take my word for it. There's looms that have a triangle top. That's wild, man. I've got a whole presentation somewhere that i did with a different podcast showing three or four but yeah the giants in myth are in the heavens and there's only a few constellations that look like giants ophiuchus is one 
Orion is another, uh, is another, Hercules is another. So if that what if this is Orion, sense. you know what I mean? What if the, Orion was depicting a, a headless giant and we're just a hybrid of this thing and we're just some bastard offspring of this fucking thing right here? <laughs> well, that's what I love about your podcast, Brandon. I never know how to reply. <laughs> I, know, I know. I'm not asking you a serious question. <laughs> our, we're just having fun. Our, head, our head evolved up that in, into a... <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I love this take on it, too, because it looks like... The, um, oh, these are nice. Uh, blimeys, that's what they are. And it looks like... Um, Damn, now they just have... The, I mean, it's fascinating art. And look, they, you had some Cyclops blimeys. You had this dude rocking a beard. He had a wicked womb broom on this thing. Look at them chops, dude. His wing out. I mean, it's it's interesting just to think, like, why? What if shit like this was real? You know, it wasn't, like, a fake thing. This looks like a somebody got painted on vacation, like family vacation, their family at the river and shit. Yeah, so what I believe a lot of these pictures come from is the account of Herodotus, who was a Greek historian, and he's been called the father of history, but a lot of people also call him the father of lying because his <laughs> he'll say things father like, horseshit. <laughs> well, cinnamon, cinnamon comes from, I remember I somehow I got onto reading Herodotus when I was like in fifth or sixth grade. I think one of my history teachers mentioned Herodotus and I read Herodotus. And one of the ones that I like was cinnamon comes from the, um, in Arabia, the rock, you know, the really huge eagles whose, you know, wingspan is like 40 feet wide and they build nests up on cliffs and the nests themselves are bigger than a palace and they line their nests with cinnamon sticks. And so, yeah, what everybody knows that's do, how you get cinnamon. Yeah, David, are you telling me cinnamon, that's not accurate? Yeah, Herodotus tells this whole story about how the people in the far off lands get cinnamon. I think they like they sew rocks into the like actual stones, not rocks, the bird into the stomach of sheep. And then when the big rock, the bird comes down and takes the sheep and they, they put enough in the nest that the nest gets too heavy and it breaks off and comes down and they can get the cinnamon. And that's, that's why cinnamon is so expensive. Like he tells all these bizarre stories and he talks about, well, yeah, down uh, in the far South, there's people who only have one foot and they, you know, everything is upside down, down there in the Southern hemisphere. And then there's people who have, uh, you know, their faces in their chests and all. He talks about all this stuff as if he's seen it. And it's, um, well, who knows? Maybe it, maybe it really existed back in the day of Herodotus, or maybe he's just making up, pulling stories out of his ear. Yeah, because you've got a real figure here that's riding a deer with a sword, pretty dope. And then you've got um, this one here, this blimey, where its eyes are sort of on its shoulder, um, almost like a Pan's Labyrinth type of deal. And then you got another one, then you got this Jay Leno looking character here. It's almost like, I don't know, man. And you look at shit like this with like the dragons and stuff. And they say that this is what, um, this is what uh, dinosaur bones are really just fossilized dragons. And really fossils don't take that long and it's not that old. Then you got Bigfoot walking around here and then you got some people hanging out. You got giants here. You got this big eared dude. And then you got Blimey's right here, you know, sort of blended into this very normal scene. I feel. I'm sensing a book for you, Brandon. This is going to be your line of research. What I'll say is that all these stories to tie it back, I don't believe that they're literal. In okay. other words, if I can show you that all the different figures in the Bible are based on the stars, then I would argue that they did not actually, they're not about men and women in terrestrial history. And some people 
have asked me, this is one of the most common questions I get, well, couldn't it be both? It could be both, but then we have the exact same story in the legends of the Pacific, where, for instance, Samson uses the jawbone of an ass and Maui uses the jawbone of a different animal. And in the South American traditions, there's a, it's a jawbone of a different animal. Is it possible that those are all different literal people using different jawbones and using it as a weapon? Possible, but I actually believe that they're based on the stars and it didn't happen in terrestrial history. And the other question is, if it's all in the stars and then people like Samson grabbed a jawbone to use as a weapon. Did he have to grab that jawbone because it was in the stars? Like he, it, I believe they are celestial and metaphorical, esoteric, telling us something about that we can use in our daily life, as opposed to something that happened thousands of years ago. If Samson was the strongest person thousands of years ago, that doesn't really help my life at all. It's like, well, good for him. He can bench press 15,000 pounds. I can bench press, you know, 45 pounds and I have to ask for help or whatever. So like, how do I relate to Samson? But wait, Samson is actually teaching you something about what's going on inside of you. Samson does all kinds of self-destructive things, like tells Delilah the secret of how to, his, his strength. He keeps telling her lies. He's like, well, if you do this and then she does it. And he's like, hmm, I think this woman may be trying to get my uh, secret in order to betray me. But then he tells her a different one, and then she betrays him again. Uh, and then he finally just tells her the real thing. It's like, Samson, in real, in real life, or in <laughs> if you were telling that story, you'd be like, wait a minute. How stupid could Samson be? But what it's showing is that's the kind of bad choices we make all the time all the time. And Samson using a jawbone to kill a thousand people just doesn't really literally make a lot of sense. Like the jawbone would probably break or wear out after killing about 10 people with it, let alone 500 people with it, let alone a thousand. And you would think if after he killed 50 and they're coming at him with swords and spears. He might just pick up one of their swords instead of using the jawbone. Nope, got to use the jawbone for a thousand. But that's what it says in the text. So if you take it literally and terrestrially, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It doesn't, there's even other passages which make even less sense, but they make perfect sense if they're about the stars. Anyway, segue from that. Why would it be about the stars? Because you're the center of the story. This isn't about giants in ancient times this is about your you've got giants to battle <laughs> you've got them you're still fighting giants yeah it's so interesting how all the gods you know in this um polytheistic sort of model were fallible yet powerful and it sort of talks about you you know all of the faults that you have and but it's also interesting that as you're talking about this the jawbone concept that people you know, we're just like me and you, we're sitting here going, hang on, that's probably not literal, you know, it's probably more allegorical, right? And I'm sure that this has been questioned, but it is interesting how it was taken so literally. Is it, are, are people going to look at sort of the way that, I guess, modern religions today um, are the way that we looked at this now? Yeah, I think 
the ancient myths, I'm convinced, have two interrelated purposes. One is the prevention or the explanation of what today modern psychologists call trauma, separation from self on an individual level, which is one of our most pressing quests in this life is to find ourself, recover ourself, be more connected and guided by our true self, our deeper self. And, and that is a deep, deep need, but it's related to on the societal level, creating a society where everyone can live up to their potential and exercise their gifts. Cause we all have different, like I said, all the different gods and goddesses give us different resources and you have a different set of resources and gifts than I have. Then, you know, the next person has, we all have this different mix and we want to express those. That's, that's what makes us feel good is when we're expressing those gifts in a, in a positive way that expresses and that we can feel good about and get people say, acknowledge it and say, wow, you're really gifted at that. And it also somehow helps other people and helps society. So on a societal level, the myths actually are against oligarchy or oligarchy is kind of a funny word. I think we're pretty familiar with it today. <laughs> You've got oligarchy going on in the United States and other places, but feudalism came about feudalism was a form of oligarchy. You had these basically dukes and lords living in castles. Why were they living in castles? Because the people would have stormed and cut their heads off if they weren't in castles, because they were basically gobbling up all the resources and letting everybody else live in subsistence poverty. Feudalism came about at the end of antiquity. Now I know, look, has history been lied about? Yes. Okay. But just bear with me. At some point, the ancient wisdom that was that at least ancient civilizations, I believe, were trying to follow was overthrown and literalism was imposed. The, the ancient wisdom was camouflaged by people saying, oh, this is all about you must believe in an external Jesus, or you must do this. And if you, you know, if you don't do what the priest says or what the hierarchy says, you will go to hell. No, hell is not a literal place. This is a, this is a all a metaphor for this life that we're in on an individual level. So trauma goes along with oppression and feudalism. And so feudalism, I would argue, is the product of literalism and distortion and lie. And what you're saying, like people will look back and say, that was a, a great mistake. Like we can look back at feudalism where people were saying, Oh, if you don't pay, you know, the priest, a certain indulgences, you're going to go to hell. And we look back at that and say, how could people even buy into that system? Well, they bought into it because they were scared to death that they were going to burn forever and, you know, look at the pictures of Hieronymus Bosch or some of the other painters depicting hell. You're going to be in this situation where someone's playing you like a violin or whatever. And, and people were frightened out of their wits. So can it be used to impose tyranny? Yes. But I would argue it's actually teaching about recovery from trauma and not having that kind of feudal oligarchy. And so 
<laughs> just to finish this off, I see a tension in modernity. We were actually trying to come out of feudalism. There was an actual um, effort to say, okay, what's wrong with feudalism? Let's get rid of that. What's and, and there was a struggle and it doesn't look like the good guys are winning. I think we're slipping back into feudalism, but maybe, maybe that's just because it gets darkest before the dawn, or maybe we're, you know, just about to, I don't know, but I see this tension as related. Some people say, well, you should just talk about star mess. Well, it's all star mess. Politics is star mess. It's all related. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. It is all related. It's all interwoven and connected. And the as above, so below model has said that, and it's so ubiquitous for that reason is because it's so prevalent. I mean, you see it everywhere. And again, when you have the eyes to see this kind of stuff, like what you point out between the star shapes and the pottery that connects from 12 different cultures. I mean, all of this is just so fascinating to me how it's just right there, but it's hidden at the same time. It's both empowering and disappointing. It's it's just, again, fascinating how, how all of this connects, but it's it's never been more useful than today, which is also fascinating how it really does outlive all the bullshit that seems to cycle through here, no matter what the age of people or the, you know, oligarch in power or anything like that, this stuff stays forever and it hovers over your head for you to look at. And it's it's really interesting, man. It is so important today. I... And convinced we're living at a very important time. I mean, we can see the level of mind control and trauma infliction that is being handed out. I mean, when you go to the airport, the whole premise upon which this structure of, oh, now you have to tell your ID and show this level of ID and take your shoes off and go through this and put up with that scanner. And, you know, I never go through that millimeter wave thing. I'm always like, nope, I'm not going through that. They rolled all that, like someone from the 1950s would look at that and say, what, why is everybody lining up to do that? The excuse for that was September 11th. September 11th, the, the story, 20 whatever years later, here we are in 2023, just cannot hold up. There's no way that that story, like the, the whole thing, um, you know, I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say there probably weren't airplanes involved. Okay. It was probably, if you're bringing it down with controlled demolition, why do you need to th throw an airplane in there? Hard to hit. So if there weren't airplanes involved and, and your transportation on airplanes is being excused and all the, you know, all the stuff they're doing to you is being excused by nine 11, that's a level of lies, deception, and, BS that is just off the charts. And oh, also your phone is listening to every single thing you say and then throwing up ads. That's an intrusion of privacy, but oh no, it's excused because 9-11, whatever. Oh, you signed a form that said they could do that. Bullshit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's complete bullshit. Mm -hmm. So we're living in a very ugly time in many ways, a time of an enormous amount of lies and trauma-inducing lies being foisted on the people. A lot of lies to make you, I'll, I'll even go one step further. If you look at the 9-11 or JFK assassination or anything else, and you're being told, this is what the government says happened. 
your gut knows better. Deep down, everybody can look at that and say, just a minute, hold on. Buildings don't get a hit on the, you know, 110th floor and then pancake to where you can look right across the street and see all the way across. They, they just don't do that. So your gut knows, even if your defensive parts of your mind bury that knowledge, and that's called trauma. That's called your deeper self actually knows already that what they're telling you is a lie. And yet many people find it extremely terrifying if the government or whatever is flat out lying at that level. Cause that is like, Oh, wait, if they're lying about the moon landing, like 1969, people still get up in arms about that. That's like people will fight you about that one. Because if they're lying about that, that's extremely, it's like the ground underneath my feet just like melted and turned into a psychedelic um, video. Like, whoa, that's extremely disorienting. So you have defense mechanisms that jump on top of it like a dog pile and say, you don't see all those obvious clues. And so that's called trauma because you know it and yet you suppress what you already know you're now separated from yourself. So that's what we're going. That's what's going on. You asked, are people going to look back and say, man, what a, what a time or people still took it literally taking it literally is actually trauma inducing. You'll go to hell if you don't take this literally, you know, 90% of the world doesn't believe in Jesus the right way. So they're going to hell or whatever. That's trauma. That's called trauma. But what's interesting about this, I don't disagree with you at all is the idea that you're separating from an idea that was false, but the whole paradigm is false. So what you're giving as self, what you're, the foundational core of you and what you're told is you, what you've discovered is you, what you've learned up to this, at these certain points in your life were the you, that was the self, but it's all a fake self. Does anybody come in here with just their self and just operate from that and not have to be fooled and then torn down and then learn shit and then break that down too and live in this fucking chaos, you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Great question, Brandon. And the answer is read the book. No, um, <laughs> we have links below. Yeah. So yeah, we have what the myths are showing us is that we have an indestructible self that is innate to all men and women that has, that exhibits these characteristics, no matter what, no matter where you come from, no matter what culture it's universal and the myths show these figures. So we have all these different gods and goddesses in us, or these different parts. You can call them like Dr. Richard Schwartz and internal family systems calls them parts. Like, oh, that's the, he, he, he took that term from his patients. He dealt with tens of thousands of patients, often with very difficult to treat issues like cutting themselves, uh, like uh, often cutting yourself like you know, it's like teen girls it manifests more i think in girls than boys but maybe not I don't, i'm not a psychologist but where he was dealing with them cutting and the patient would say oh that's the cutting part the cutting part won't like that or the cut the cutting part has gone away now but when she comes back she always cuts me and so he took the term parts but anyway we all have these different parts but he would discover as he was talking with these different 
patients and men and women, young men and women, older men and women. And he would say, well, what part am I talking to now? Sometimes they would say, oh, that's not a part. That's myself. That's me. And this self would exhibit over and over these certain characteristics that are different than the parts. And he calls them the eight C's, compassion, connectedness, courage, clarity, creativity. These characteristics of self, he finds, are universal. And he says, this is Richard Schwartz writing and talking, that's not what I was taught in psychology school. That's not what people still get taught in medical school. People get taught, well, to have those kind of centered and confident and positive characteristics, you really have to have a perfect childhood or a pretty good childhood and blah, 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 blah. And he says, no. What I found was that when those different parts that were giving trouble, and by the way, they're giving trouble because they're trying to hold the system together. So they're, they think they're doing something that they need to do to survive. But when I ask them to just step back for a moment, self emerges over and over. It's not that you have to be an enlightened guru who sits on a mountain forever. No, actually, everyone has access to self. And the myths are showing this. And he says, no matter what you've been through, the trauma that you may have, he said, I was taught in medical school that people who have this type of family or this type of dysfunction or this type of you know, thing going on in their childhood or this type of violence or this type of abuse can't develop those things. And he says, they're wrong. And that's good news because we all have access to self and the myths show self figures. I talk about that in the book. Jesus, all those characteristics of Jesus, that's basically characteristics of self. Self can heal the wounds, just like Jesus goes around healing miraculously. Self has compassion. Self doesn't fly off the handle. So when you know, when you're like exhibiting all these behaviors, you know that's a part. You know that's not self. So here's the intriguing thing, and maybe, you know, maybe we can end with this, or maybe it'll ring a bell for some people. If self is indestructible, this is what Dr. Schwartz has found dealing with tens of thousands of patients. Self is indestructible. That's not what he was taught. That's what he discovered. Medical school says, no, 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 to develop those, you have to have a perfect childhood. And he said, no, I found that in people with the most horrific pasts. And what I'm saying is that the myths show that because all these self figures, they get cut up, hung up on a cross, you know, crown of thorns, spear in the side, and they go down to the underworld. They get buried. They get forgotten about. Osiris gets cut up into 14 pieces, and they always come back. They're divine and indestructible, not because someone's trying to pull a trick on us and get us all to um, obey some little elite who has told us a bunch of lies. They're divine and indestructible because it's trying to illustrate something that's true about you, me, and everyone else. No matter what you've been through, you have access to self that has all these wonderful characteristics. And by the way, it's not always a male figure. The Buddha is a self figure. Jesus is a self figure. Osiris is a self figure. The goddess Inanna is a higher self figure. And she goes down to the underworld and gets humiliated and hung up on a hook for three days on a meat hook in the underworld by her sister who doesn't like her. That's a picture of your higher self. It can be 
he, she, your higher self can be buried for your whole life. And then you can recover yourself. It's yourself is always there waiting. That's what the myths are actually showing us, no matter what you've gone through. God, it's so cool to talk to you, dude. Just every every time you you go off on this kind of stuff, I'm just lost in it too with you. And I just love this so much, man. Um, we are going to end it though here, but I want you to uh, promote your book in any way that you'd like. I'm going to give you the last word on this. So first of all, tell us like something you're super pumped about and happy to keep moving forward because of. And then also, of course, you're invoking the ancient gods in us. Link down below as well as all the other ways to find you, your other books. I mean, guys, uh, absolute dear friend and an incredible author, um, incredible researcher. And you hear the passion uh, he has for this and the references in his writings as well and the fascinating um, images as well in there, too. So tell us about Invoking the Ancient Gods and Us, which will be linked below. And then end us on a high note, man. What keeps you moving? Yeah, great, Brandon. It's it's actually called Invoking the Ancient Gods in You. I love the way you keep saying in us because it's all of us. Yes, the title if you were searching for it, but you'll find it. Look, if you just go on Amazon and search for astro theology, um, and if you don't like Amazon, <laughs> look, they carry my books, but uh, they make more off of it than I do. <laughs> Dude, totally. We have we have journals <laughs> there. I know. We can, yeah, we, we can go it. off on <laughs> that. We'll make shit off of that. <laughs> um, every. Uh, Every bookstore should be able to order it wherever you're hearing this podcast, wherever you like to purchase books. Or like I said, go ask your college library to order it and you read it for free or go ask your public library to order it. And I also do have online courses. You know, if this is intrigued, you or you've never heard this before, or you really want to see the nitty gritty of how the Bible stories, I've got two courses, Celestial Bible Tour Part 1 and Celestial Bible Tour Part 2. Those are online courses. Each is 10 hours or more of checking into it. Yeah, thank you, man. Checking into Bible story after Bible story and relating it not just to the stars, but to this recovering self journey. So the book is really my most recent connecting of what I believe these myths are talking about. This course, I think I did it about a year before, but it's got a lot of the same concepts in their online courses. And then I'm super excited. Look, I hope we're all, I hope we're all excited about this battle that we're in. I said that Arjun in the Bhagavad Gita, the great battle of Kurukshetra, that's our incarnate life. It's a battle. Like we're all supposed to be engaged, trying to make the world better. I believe not just getting in touch with ourselves, ourself for our own purposes, as important as that is, but it's also for the purpose of helping others. So I think things are going to keep coming fast and furious and we have to try and speak the truth out into the world. Like I know you're doing, it's a very important task that you've got as a podcaster, Brandon. And, you know, we, um, we may feel like, well, can I contribute to the outcome? The Bhagavad Gita, what Krishna keeps saying to Arjun over and over is, do the right thing without attachment to the outcome. You don't know the outcome. You may, you may be surprised. <laughs> you may be able to change the world. But whether you do or don't, or maybe you'll be you know, killed in a horrific way. That's the outcome, you don't know what it's going to be. 
don't not act because of fear of one outcome and don't only act if you think you're going to have a successful outcome. You just have to do the right thing. So I think to 2024, <laughs> Ksenia tells us astrologically, it's a, got a lot going on in it. I do have a couple of in-person events going on in 2024 that I'm excited about. Ksenia will be there with me. There's one going to be in Texas. I don't know all the details yet, but it's going to be for the big eclipse on April 8th, April 8th, 2024. And then in November, Ksenia and I will be with Patricia Aoyan Lehman in Egypt, stars over Egypt, seeing all the magnificent ancient monuments and carvings and artwork that's in 2024 so i no longer do like sign books and mail them out i did that when i was in the u.s and it's um it's a it's a big production actually and now that i'm in australia the shipping is just out of control to do it so if you if you want to get a book signed the best way is to buy it and come to an event and i'm not just saying that to try and sell books look Go, go look at my free YouTube stuff. I'm just excited about in-person events because I love meeting with people. I think, you know, that's what, that's what keeps the fire burning is seeing that, you know, hearing people say that ah, this actually made an impact, that I couldn't stop doing it anyway. I'm doing this because I have to. I just, this is, I need to, try and talk about something that I believe is so beautiful and helpful and important and, uh, you know, celestial, but it really is fires me up when I get to interact with people who love it as much as I do. And you felt that at the, at the event, it's like you're with all these people and you can talk about all these things that you can't always talk about around the table with just anybody. So how's that i'm i'm fired up for 2024 i hope that it's going to be fantastic let's all let's all do what arjun was told and try and save the world as best we can in whatever way we can Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.